0: Everyone and Welcome to another episode of My Naked Mindset. I'm your host, Janae Ledger. This is episode number 47. If this is your first time listening, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. I am actually recording on a Sunday. I usually don't record on the weekends, but Honestly, it's kind of like a nice intro to the day. I've been really enjoying recording. I'm actually doing two podcast recordings today with two different people. So it's actually been super, super nice to start out my day. If this is your first time here, this podcast is all about intimacy topics, lifestyle, dating, relationships, and I've gotten into some more deeper topics with people that are willing to share their stories And I hope you've been enjoying the depth and just the different types of episodes lately. And please, I would love any feedback as well if you are enjoying these or, um, you know, if I throw in some more intimacy related topics, if you have been enjoying those as well, I would love any feedback. And please, you can actually rate the podcast on Spotify now. So I would totally appreciate a five star and a comment and as well as you can do that on Apple Podcasts as well. So I did want to mention up top, there is a trigger warning for this episode, domestic violence, violence, abuse. There will be a lot of discussions about that as well as um, suicide. So if that's um, you know sensitive for you, a topic, Um, you know, maybe skip out on this episode, but I definitely wanted to mention that. But without further ado, here is the episode. I hope you enjoy it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today. We have a very special guest. She is a mindset coach, business foundation strategist, and a podcast host. Everyone, please welcome to the the show, Letitia. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me today. Of course, I'm so glad that you're here and we get to chat today. Um, So I always like to start out by just sharing your background and really how you got to where
1: you are today. So I was born and raised in Bermuda. Um, My story starts pretty early, Uh, at about seven, I was told by a family member that my birth was the reason for my parents' divorce. And this was round about the time my mother was getting remarried. So it created a bit of turmoil for me, if I'm honest. Um, I resented my mother.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, And I think as I got older, that resentment grew significantly. Both of my parents remarried. Both of their spouses made it very known that they wanted nothing to do with me. So I grew up feeling like I was in between two families, not really having a place. My father had his family unit. My mother had her family unit. And I was just like floating around in between. About 13, 14, I started, you know, getting really rebellious and I was out of the house a lot and I met this guy that was 28 that I'm a Disney fan so he was (laughs) like my Prince Charming okay
0: Uh
1: um he shared me the attention that I wasn't getting at home Uh and that to me was love and I got really caught up I spent a lot of time with this man uh Like I practically lived with him Mm
0: -hmm.
1: at 14. I would go home in the morning to get a bath and put my school clothes on and go out. Um, So at about 15, he choked me for the first time. And I knew that that's not what a relationship should look like. I remember packing up everything in a trash bag and leaving his house because you know like I said I spent a lot of time up there so I packed up everything put it in a trash bag and walked to my uncle's house I never told anybody what had happened but that was for me the end but the problem was because I had spent so much time outside of the house for a long period of time now I'm here nowhere to go and I'm not happy about it so me and my mom Got in a lot of fights over that period of time. At one point in time, she shipped me off to my father for a couple of weeks. And I remember my father having a conversation with me, telling me that his wife didn't want to raise another child. So I had to go back to my mama. Wow. I was angry. I was very angry. And... i i I remember having an argument with my mother's husband ever what i don't remember but i remember saying i should just kill myself Mm. and he says go ahead this man literally mocked me so i took a handful of pills he called my sisters and my mama into the kitchen And I took a handful of pills in front of everybody and walked out of the house. And I remember my mama coming after me and like being very angry. Like, why would you do this? Like, you know, nothing good comes out of committing suicide for anybody. Like, you know, very angry. She took me to the hospital and I was put under outpatient psychiatric care. And I remember having a family meeting and just expressing how I felt in that moment. You know, you guys are making me seem like I'm the problem. But the reality is I didn't ask to be here. And everybody just seems to think that I'm angry for no reason. I remember being in that meeting and my daddy getting up and walking out. And I didn't speak to him for years after that. So I'm even more angry now because it was displayed as anger. Right. But it was an anger. I was hurt. I was hurt. I felt abandoned by my parents. And a couple of months later, I'm about 17 now. uh, I got in a fight with my mother and it was a physical fight. I ended up pushing her to the ground. Now, I'm sure you know (laughs) the teenager is always the problem right like always yeah teenage years are tough for sure (laughs) yeah so I was the problem she told everybody that I put my hands on her you know like it was the worst thing in the world and a couple days after that I remember receiving a letter a registered letter Or I I don't know what they call I can't remember what they're called in the states certified letters anyway you have to go pick this like you can't just receive it through your mailbox like you have to sign for this letter and I remember saying to my mom like who would be sending me a registered letter like I'm only 17 like why would I be getting something like that and I remember her sitting there as coy as anything like oh I don't know (laughs) I don't know and I'm thinking maybe it's come from my daddy like I don't know like I it just didn't make any sense to me anyway I go pick up this letter it was a letter from my mother's lawyer telling me that I was no longer allowed on her property and if I returned I would be arrested so essentially a restraining order oh my gosh I'm a minor where am I going my mama told everybody that i put hands on my hands on her, so I can't go to her family. I haven't spoken to my daddy in over a year, so I can't go to him. So I called the only person that I knew that would take me in. I called the guy that had already choked me, mm. and he took me in, no problem. But as soon as I got there, he made it very known that I owed him. I owed him my life. I owed him everything because he's the only person in my life that cared enough to take me in. And that psychological abuse carried on for years. He made me feel like I was indebted to him.
0: Very manipulative.
1: Very. And I didn't know any better. I mean, I had to make a choice. You know what I mean? (laughs) I need a roof over my head so at 19 I married him and then I got married the abuse was intensified I what described these years as torture I at this point in time I was working in law enforcement I wasn't Mm -hmm. a police officer but I was working alongside the police Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then as I tell people this story, they're like, well, you could have gotten out. Like you were working in law enforcement. You could have reported what was happening. But I came from a very small place. Bermuda is tiny. 21 square miles. If some, If I don't know you, I know your cousin, your right. auntie, your best friend. So rumors pass very fast. Right. And for me... Working alongside the police and seeing how human they are. Because I think I had, I was probably naive to the fact that police officers actually care right. <laughs> until I started working in law enforcement. You saw it firsthand. Um, I, right. I saw it firsthand. And there was no way those people <laughs> were going to know my business. So I hit it and I hit it very well. I hit it to the point where I would create stories to make it seem like it was much better than it was because first of all, everybody knew our age difference. Mm. So I felt like I had to justify why I was with this old man. <laughs> Excuse me. And to say, old, no, <laughs> 28 is not old. But you know what I mean? Right, 33 no. isn't old either. But um, I had to justify why I was in this relationship for a very long time. And I think I, I was ashamed because I knew what I was going through I didn't deserve. I knew it, but there was no escape for me at that's that moment.
0: The, right, that's that's such a hard position to be in. I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah. Um, when I turned 21, I remember having this desire to go to university And I remember having a conversation with my husband about it. And he was like, oh, no, you're not going to do that. If you wanted to go to school, you should have done it before we got married. Your wife and no, you're not going to do that. And I think that was the first time I actually started to resent him. Mm. I am a nerd. (laughs)
0: Mm. I
1: love learning. So for me, that was the first time that I could see that he was holding me back.
0: 100%. And I was
1: very, very resentful of that. And I wanted out. I really, truly wanted out. But I was terrified of what that would look like. Yeah. I, I've come from my mother's home to this home. I've never taken care of myself. I've never paid a bill. Even though I'm making great money, that money went into a giant account. I didn't really have control over it. So I don't even know how to, you know, I don't know how to take care of myself. That's the reality. Right. I was, I won't say was, I am the pillar of strength amongst my friends. Like all of my friends come to me for advice, a listening ear. And I think Particularly during that time, because I had painted such a pretty picture about my relationship, they all used to come to me for relationship advice. Not that I could give it, but I did anyway.
0: <laughs> and well, I you
1: remember so
0: much, and you could just <laughs> share and you know give advice for maybe their experiences and try to help out in any way you could.
1: Yeah, but I wasn't living my the advice that I was given, if I'm honest. Right. So it was pretty hypocritical of me to give relationship advice when I was in such a toxic relationship myself. And I remember one night my friend calling me and telling me that she was in a relationship with a heroin addict
0: Mm. and she
1: didn't know how to get out of it. It had become abusive and she didn't know what to do. Now look, when I tell you I can give advice, I can give advice, okay? I read her the riot act. Like, listen, girl, you need to leave. You deserve so much better than that. Like, are you serious? Like, no, we're not playing that game. You need to leave. Do you need me come get you so you can leave? And I remember opening a book called Until Today by Ian Van It's like a daily devotional book. And I was like, look, girl, I'm just going to read you something to inspire you. And the passage that I read to her that night was the reason why our interpersonal relationships do not work sometimes is because we are keeping people in our lives that were only meant to be there for a reason or a season. Mm. And their time is up, yep. but we haven't accepted it. So we're keeping people in our lives that really aren't meant to be there they are temporary, essentially. Yes. And I remember reading this and it was like, I felt like a sinner in church that night. Like it was this aha moment for me. Like, this is why this relationship isn't working. I'm not meant to be here. I'm not meant to be in this relationship. <laughs> that was very significant because several hours later my husband came home very drunk (laughs) and he had seen a couple of text messages between me and another man they weren't like sexual but they weren't appropriate for a married woman Mm -hmm. and he was very angry Mm. and I had endured years of torture and like, I'm not even going to go into the details. Just know that I knew by the way that he was talking to me, that this was going to be a bad night. It was going to be a long night. I just knew it. And I remember running to the landline and calling my mama. And I said, listen, you need to come get me right now. And he ran after me and pulled the landline out of the wall. And he told me that the only way that I was going to leave there tonight was in a body bag. (gasps) He ran into the kitchen. He got a knife. And he barricaded us in the bedroom. I... I can't tell you how long I was in that bedroom. <laughs> that part of this story was like an auto body experience. Like I literally remember ex- experiencing that part as if I was watching it on TV. Mm. Like I watched myself fight for my life and there was a point in time where I remember seeing the knife come towards me, but I never processed pain. I, I just, I had no idea that this man that was supposed to love me forever had stabbed me. I, all I knew was that I needed to get out of that bedroom if I wanted to live. We were living with someone at the time. And that person had come home and heard all of these screaming and commotion. And he broke into the room, which gave me enough time to get out. So I ran into the living room and I fell on the couch. My husband ran after me. He straddled me on the couch and continued to try to start stabbing me. And I I, I don't say this lightly and it may sound like I'm laughing but the only way that I could describe it it's like a matrix moment (laughs) like it was like I was dodging bullets like I, I I cannot there's no other way to describe it and trust me I'm not making light of this situation but his friend pulled him off of me and then kicked me out of the house so I'm outside it was a rainy night. I had no shoes on. i i don't I don't even think I had pants on, and I'm outside in the cold now, realizing that I'm very hot, mm. and it didn't make sense to me. Right, I just knew that I felt heat, and I help. It was like it was running down my body. That's when I realized, oh my god, I'm bleeding. Mm. I still don't process pain. I just feel heat. Um, So I'm outside and luckily my mother (laughs) listened to me and she pulled up into the yard. So I'm trying to like, tell her, like, I need to get my stuff. Like I, I was literally in shock. I I couldn't vocalize to her what had happened. She saw the blood Mm -hmm. Um. But when he realized that somebody was outside for me, he started driving my stuff out the window. And it, the house that we were living in didn't have grass. So he was literally throwing my stuff out into mud. Mm. So one of the things he used to do to apologize to me for his abuse was buy me Louis Vuitton. And at 21, when you have over twenty thousand dollars worth of Louis Vuitton bags, like you didn't get his stuff, <laughs> right? Like that was valuable to me. In his haste, he was throwing my Louis Vuittons out the window, so I was trying to get the Louis Vuittons in the car because, like, okay, I don't have a roof over my hair, but I've got my Louis Vuittons. Like, you know. My priorities were all over the place in that moment. Right. But he came outside trying to get the Louis Vuitton's back. He still had the knife in his hand. And I'm going to be honest with you. I try to fight him for these bags. And I remember my mom was screaming, like, get in the car, get in the car. Because oh. she was so traumatized. But then you're in shock. I don't think you, you don't process reality. Right? Like, I don't think I realized how dangerous that situation could have been. Like, f- legit, he could have just slipped my throat in front of my mama. If uh, a hide, if it's even that. I think it's canvas, to be honest. Canvas, right? Right. Um, so I get in the car and my mama starts driving towards the hospital. And I was like, no, we're not going to the hospital. She's like, no, you got to go to the hospital. you got to go to the hospital. So in that moment, I'm telling her, listen, I can go to my doctor. My doctor knows what's going on. So one of the things that I used to do, I remember very clearly learning this in high school, that if you're ever in a situation where you do not feel comfortable going to the police, go to your doctor Mm -hmm. and let your doctor document the evidence. So that's what I had been doing for years. And I didn't tell anybody. I would go to my doctor after an episode and get him to document any cuts and bruises. Because I knew how dangerous of a situation I was in. Like, particularly now, I I think I realized that his mental capacity was very diminished. But Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew that there was a possibility that this man could want one day kill me and i didn't want him to get away with it right so i had convinced my mom to take me to her house and um, my dog's going crazy right now (laughs) no worries i had convinced my mom to take me to her house so i can figure out what's next and i was there for less than 90 minutes and i remember her coming into the kitchen asking me where was I going to go because Mm -hmm. I couldn't stay there so like this is the lowest point of my life at this point and I'm essentially being abandoned again
0: that's horrible after all you've been through like that's when you need
1: your support so much yeah so she packed me up (laughs) and I eventually took me to the police station and the police escorted me to a homeless shelter where I lived for two months until I was able to get myself on my feet. I was able to get a restraining order and I was able to start processing my divorce. So now the worst is like over. So I think, you know, um, I'm starting over. And I think for the first time I realized, okay, like the reality is I only have me. But I don't even know what that means. I don't know who I don't. I didn't even know who I was because my identity to that point had been tied to my interpersonal relationships. So if I had described myself, I would describe myself as someone's child or someone's wife. Like there was no me. And Mm -hmm. I think that was the hardest part of this whole process, having to figure out who I was. And I didn't like Yeah, I didn't like it. I was still full of shame. I was full of guilt because I felt guilty about walking away from my marriage, if I'm honest. Like, I felt like it was my fault. And the only way that I knew how to deal with that was drink. Mm -hmm. So I drank and I drank and I drank a lot. Uh, At one point in time, I carried around a flask of scotch with me. Mm -hmm. and I drank it all day like people that I used to work with used to joke that I needed altoids 24 hours a day because I always smelled like alcohol and the truth of the matter is you know (laughs) the way that I used to work I used to work a 24-hour shift so um I would go work drunk my hangover would start like three o'clock in the afternoon and then you're nursing you know you (laughs) The best way to cure a hangover is drink some more. (laughs) So that's, you know, I was constantly drunk to never come down from that. And I remember one Christmas, like I had lost like $300 in cash because I was so drunk. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like a reality check for me because like, I don't have a whole lot of money to be based in. And Mm -hmm. I sat there and I thought like, why am I doing this? I don't even like the taste of scotch. (laughs) I don't even like the feeling of being drunk. Like, why am I doing this? And I realized that I needed to get out of the environment that I was in. So I made a decision to go off to university. I went to Georgia State University. I ended up getting full scholarships. Like, while I was a student, that was my best life. Like most students are like, oh my God, I ate ramen for like three months. <laughs> no, I made more money as a student than I did working for the Bermuda government. Wow. So for me, <laughs> I was living in life in Atlanta. Wow! And things were going well. I had a 4.0. I was just like, yeah. you know, doing my thing. And then I meet this guy. And it was something about him that I had some hesitation at first, but during the time that I met him, I was having problems with my roommate. So it was an escape for me, going out with this guy. And he was a DJ, you know, like he, to me, just like, it was something Something about him I just even to this day I don't know what it was and I fell hard and I fell fast and within six months we were living together and I lived with this man and then realized that he had a cocaine problem Ooh. I had never been around drugs like that like yeah I worked in customs so I had seized drugs but I've never been in environments where people were doing anything other than weed so for me there was this level of naivety I had no idea what I had gotten myself into and during those three years he literally drained me of everything that I had I remember one Christmas like three days before Christmas Renaissance came because all of his furniture was from Renaissance. Mm. Renaissance came and cleaned out his apartment. and within an hour of that, his lights got shut off. So I spent Christmas with no food, no heat, no way to get a bath. But what was crazy about this is my rent was paid at the apartment that I had with my roommate. But I refused to go back to that apartment and deal with what was going on there. So I remember going to school, and when I say he drained me out everything, like I, I didn't even have like $100 to my name. Going to school and having to use the student discounts to get like a $2 six inch subway, because I literally didn't have any money. I remember there were nights where I probably ate Sterling 7-Eleven hot dogs. Right. Because I had nothing. And it wasn't that I had to be in that situation. I had my rent paid somewhere else. I had money in Bermuda, but I couldn't let him know that. Right? right. So I stayed in that situation. And I think that was indicative of how I was feeling about myself at that time. Right. That following summer, I decided to come go back to Bermuda to work for a little while um and I my birthday is in July so I had been in Bermuda from like the end of April right up until July and I thought okay I am going to surprise him I was paying for that apartment and I popped up one day to meet my boyfriend of three years I met his wife
0: oh my gosh <laughs>
1: That was the biggest blow because I got to be honest, one of the reasons why I never wanted to date an American was just that. (laughs) The fact that like you could literally have a family in the next state and like, there's no way that I would know. And that's exactly what he had. He was originally from Florida and he had moved up to Atlanta. And when I think about it, it was probably his drug use that caused the separation right. but he had a wife and child in Florida literally the next state ever and yeah that was devastating to me but I couldn't I was still full of shame like how do I end up back in this crazy situation with another crazy relationship like this is crazy I graduated that December And I moved back to Bermuda and I got a job in commercial insurance, which I thought no flies on me. I was doing good, girl. Like I was doing real good on my job. And then I meet this guy. (laughs) Now, what's funny about this particular meeting was a couple of weeks before that, I had... Said to one of my friends that I was starting to get a little lonely, and I'm like, I can't pick a man to save my life. So you know, like I'm kind of stand fish. And she had suggested that I write down the qualities of the man, like my next boyfriend. And I got serious about this. Like I had 45 things on that list. I was very clear about what I wanted. I meet this guy, and he literally ticked most of the boxes the big one that he didn't tick was height because I wanted like somebody that was like six eight you know like <laughs> <laughs> I'm 5'11 so a six eight guy would have been like a dream yeah I didn't get that <laughs> but I got a really great guy. Like I met this guy. He just blew my mind. Like the first year of our relationship, I was consistently pinching myself. Like this cannot be real. Like, wow! First time in my life I'm in a relationship where I wasn't running away from something. Like, you know, my husband, I was running away from the situation at home. The guy in Atlanta, I was running away from the situation at home. I was living by myself. I was living my best life. I wasn't running from nothing. So for the first time, I'm like, I'm finally in a place where I'm entering a relationship, not looking for anything out of it, other than just companionship, right? Right, right. We moved in very quickly. Six weeks, we were living together. That's like, it was just like a whirlwind romance. When you know, you know. Yeah, when you know, you know. A year into that relationship, a family member of his died. And I remember him telling me at one point in time he used to smoke crack. He started smoking crack
0: oh, no. after that.
1: And I remember being so devastated like, how did I end up in this situation again? You know, I remember saying to him, listen, <laughs> After three years of what I just went through, there's no way I'm dealing with this. Like, I'm being straight up with you. I don't have the capacity anymore to deal with this. And it was probably the worst thing to do. Because if you give an addict an ultimatum, the reality is they are going to manipulate you so that it still benefits them. And that's exactly what he did. I knew he was still using, but I think I was just holding on to what had been so magical for me, right?
0: Right, right.
1: He got fired from his job. And the reason he got fired was because he was stealing meat. He was a chef. He was a chef. He used to cater on the side. And I remember seeing the meat come in, but it was nothing About that, that was out of the ordinary for me because before he was using, he was catering. He would source his meat through his job because it'd be cheaper. So I never thought anything of it. And I remember one day he had asked me to come pick up a bag from his job. So I went to his job, I picked it up and I was surrounded by security when I did and they then told me that they had a security camera in the freezer and they knew that he was stealing meat, but they just didn't know how he was taking it out of the building. Oh. So I give them the bag and I was like, here you go. You know, ain't got nothing to do with me. And I thought, you know, he got charged. He got arrested. He got charged. I thought that was the end of it until a couple of weeks later. The reception at my job calls me and tells me that police was there for me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine why. Like, why are you coming to see me? So I go to reception. I go to reception and I was arrested for receiving stolen property. So I go, to poli- I go to jail. I call my mother and I say to her, listen, I'm in jail. I need you to call me a lawyer. I need mm-hmm. to sort this out. Right. And instead of her calling mm-hmm. a lawyer, she came down to the police station. <laughs> so I'm now sat behind glass listening to my mother tell me about myself. But the one thing that she said to me is, Why do you love your- Why do you love everyone else more than you love yourself? And that was like, you might as well have just let Mike Tyson hit me. (laughs) That was a reality check that I don't think anybody was ready for. Mm -hmm. I know I wasn't, but I went back to my cell and I sat there and I thought about it. And I think that was the first time in a long time I was actually honest with myself. And although I was not directly responsible for why I was in jail, my decisions were the reason why I was behind bars. And if I didn't learn how to make better decisions, this was going to be my life. You know what I mean? Wow. So I never got charged with anything. I was released after eight to 12 hours. I wasn't there long. Okay. Um, but the very next day, the first thing that I did was call a coach. Now this woman I had met on my journey, trying to find my boyfriend, some help. And I remember meeting her and she was like, you're broken. And I'm not saying that in a bad way or a judgy way, but like, you are broken Mm -hmm. and I want to help you. And I was like, no girl, I'm all right. (laughs) I just need help for my boyfriend. You know what I mean? But I went to see her and I started working with her and I worked with her for five months. That coaching relationship changed my life. It made me realize that for many, many years, I was a victim, gladly. I was married to that narrative that I am a victim, that life is happening to me. Where is me? Lord have mercy, right? I was dealt a bad hand. But she made me see that that victim mentality was actually keeping me stuck that victim mentality was me giving away my power and the minute that I can take ownership for my decisions because listen nothing happens to you without you actually there are things that you decide in life that you have to take ownership for right? right I stayed in a relationship I stayed in an abusive relationship I stayed in a relationship with somebody that was on cocaine I stayed in a relationship with someone that was using crack. So my consequences, I had I have to take ownership for. And the minute I did that, the minute I started taking ownership for my actions, right? Life changed for me. I went from being a victim to being a survivor, which absolutely. Is something to celebrate but survival isn't the final destination I needed to get further than just surviving so I made a decision to pack up me and my crackhead boyfriend and move to England and I got him some help he has been clean nine years he is now my husband and the father of my two beautiful children and life is pretty good on these these ends right but it's come with a lot of work for both of us it's come with a lot of humility for me like taking ownership is the hardest thing right and I've spent the last nine years like really committed to my personal development I check myself on a regular basis like we're not going to settle into narratives that no longer serve us that's not what we're doing anymore I came out here I built an amazing career for myself in within two years I was a manager of a Lloyds of London top five insurance syndicate I was running a multinational team but that came with challenges like I felt like I had reached the pinnacle of my career to be at in Lloyd's of London which is like the epitome of the uh, white man's club (laughs) to be a foreign black woman in a position of power was outstanding like and just to give you some clarity there was only one other black woman that worked in my company wow so for me that was like yeah i made it but the problem with that was i'm now in a position where people don't respect me Mm. people are threatened by my strength right yeah you're a
0: strong woman
1: i am And I'm unapologetic about it, which makes me very threatening to people. I'm a kitty cat, but I come across like a lion for a reason. And I'm unapologetic about that. And I realized that here I am stressing myself out to the limit. Like literally, I remember being at work one day and a nurse telling me that I'm literally a walking stroke victim Mm -hmm. because my blood pressure was so high. Getting anxiety over work, working endless hours, and being so stressed. And the only people that are impacted is my family. And I began to weigh out the pros and cons for myself with that. Like, what is this all for if I can't appreciate my downtime? I can't, like, I'm just so stressed all the time. And the straw that broke the camel's back was six hours after giving birth to my second child. I received an email on my personal email account from a co-worker acknowledging the birth of my child and then asking me about work. And it pissed me off. Yeah. It pissed me off because that's so dis- it was so disrespectful to me. It really is. So I decided I was going to use my maternity leave. We have 12 months old here. So I was going to use my maternity leave to find a way to get out of this job. Mm -hmm. And I was reminded about how much my life would change working as a coach. So I started taking coach certifications and I started my coaching business. I went back to work because my plan was... Just get as much money as you can, and then you can retire when you're 40. I lasted about six months. (laughs) I remember being in a meeting and being called a girl and responding to that. Because I don't, I don't take anybody's disrespect. I responded to it, and my manager then blamed me for the tensions on that call. And I remember saying to my husband, if I was in the office that day, or if I was in the office today, you would have needed bail money. Like, that's how angry I was. And I remember him saying to me, well, is it worth it? You know, like you're building your company, you're doing pretty well, Like, is this worth it to you? Because at the end of the day, it's impacting your relationships with me. It's impacting your relationships with your children. Like, is this worth it? So it wasn't. It wasn't worth it to me. And at the beginning, the very first Monday of 2021, I put in my resignation. I had a three-month notice period. I didn't do any work for three months. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm out right, and i I spent that three months building my business, mm-hmm. and I have been doing that ever since. When I walked away from my fourteen year career, I decided to go into business coaching. I'm really passionate about helping black women see that they do not have to put up with the disrespect, the constant, um, undervaluation of positions, but constantly overlooked. I can't tell you how many times in my career I have trained someone to be my boss. Right. And I'm really passionate about changing that narrative. You know, my mother, my grandmother raised me to be a very, very strong black woman. But in my strength, I define my strength by not allowing other people to devalue me. And I have established my value and I stand out on my own, building my business and helping other Black women build theirs um, so that we can be self sufficient. Absolutely. That's power. That's my story.
0: (laughs) Wow. That, I mean, You have been through so much. And I'm sure looking back on it now, it's just, it probably feels like a whirlwind. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I can't even, I can't even imagine like your stories and and what that brought you to, you know, what, who you are today and, and the strength and, you know, all the, the manipulation and, and abuse that you went through. But I feel like when people go through really, really hard things, it's just, you know, you, you overcome it. You might go through very bad times and in times where you're like, what am I doing? Or, you know, you ask yourself, like, why, why did I let myself like, just go through that? And it's, I always say to my friends and I always, you know, give advice to my friends and, and, you know, when they're going through hard times, it's like, it's okay to talk to someone and to get advice and to lean on people and and question why you did things and, and really kind of reflect, I guess you could say. Um, and it really is like when you do go through hard times, it's like, you really got to just look back and say, you know what? I I did go through hard stuff, but I am so much stronger now. I can, you know, reflect on my experiences and really just, just think, Oh my God, like, uh, I, I, I'm such a stronger person because of that. And you're like the perfect example of just overcoming such a traumatic, you know, experience experiences. And I, I, I give you so much credit for really pushing through. And I, I, I'm, it's amazing that now you're helping out other people. And I, I love that. And I know mindset is like a huge factor in it and just, um, just really our mind is so complex and and really just shifting perspectives and thinking in different ways and if you're thinking a negative thought like try to you know turn it into like oh but what if but like you know just switching that narrative right mm-hmm. um so I guess from and, and and I can't thank you enough for sharing all these stories I mean it's I I really just I give you so much credit for just pushing through and, and, um, it's your, your story is extremely powerful. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to share, um, you know, with my audience, um, all of what you've overcome, but if you could give like a few tips or advice to someone, maybe going through something abusive or, um, you know, going through a really hard time, what would you, um, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, I always like to tell people to challenge their thoughts, right?
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: recycle 90% of our thoughts, 90 to 98%. So 98% of what you think today, you thought yesterday and the day before. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that's why it makes it so hard for us to shift our narratives. So challenge your thoughts. Not everything you think is true. Yes, And it starts with a simple question. Why do I think this? Now, somebody might say, well, how is that going to work? Let me tell you something. Your brain cannot resist a question. It may not have the answer right away. But if you ask yourself a question, your subconscious will work until it finds an answer. Mm. Which is why, what if this goes wrong? it's the worst worst question to ask right so it starts with challenging the narratives like you find yourself stuck like unable to move forward sit for a second in silence and understand the thoughts that come with that right and then question it why do i think that right and then ask yourself why again ask yourself why until you don't have an answer anymore. And most times that gives you room to change your perspectives. There is this, you know, this saying that a leg can't stand on one leg or something like that. Oh, I don't even have a leg to stand on, like in an argument or something. Right. And that is because if you challenge yourself enough that, that, that saying goes for your narratives as well. So if you challenge yourself enough and knock off the legs of the arguments that you may have about why you can't do something, why you're not enough, why, you know, something negative, and you challenge it, why do I think this? Why do I think this? And really get to the root of that, mm. you're knocking off the legs of that table. You cannot stand on one leg. Your narratives can stand on one leg. So start by challenging your narratives so that you can change your perspective and essentially change your life.
0: Wow, I love that. That's, that's powerful right there. That's, that's really good advice. <laughs> Thank um, you. What would you say is the most important part of our mindset?
1: Self-awareness. Mm. You cannot walk around in a cloud. Right. Um, and I liken self-awareness to a lighthouse. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with what that is, but it's a very large building that stands on the, a coast and it allows sailors to see their passage in inland. A lighthouse goes around in like, a circle. So it's literally shining a light on an area of water for maybe 30 seconds. That 30 seconds gives the sailor enough time to see what's in front of them and gives it gives them the opportunity to change direction if they are heading for rocks or they're heading for a shipwreck. And that is what self-awareness does in our lives. Having self awareness gives us an opportunity to change course, to change perspective, and then allows us to ch- take action. So, reflecting every day is like the most important thing you can do. What was your biggest takeaway from the day? What could you have done to make your day better? And take that information into tomorrow. And then reflect again, because you're bringing self-awareness to the forefront of your day, which then gives you the opportunity to change your life.
0: Wow, I love that. Self-awareness is so important; it really is. And and when you are self-aware, I feel like you can you can adjust so easily, right? And you can say, "All right, you know, I feel like I." I wasn't my best in that situation and kind of be like, what could I, and I do like that at the end of the day, kind of reflect, like, what did I, you know, what could I have done better today? Or, you know, I didn't really like that interaction with my significant other, you know, how can I, how can I adjust and, and do better tomorrow? So that's, that's really good advice. I really like that. Um. Okay. Are you ready for a game? I am. All right, let's do it. So th- <laughs> it's called this or that. So just choose whichever one you like. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the first one is pizza or pasta. Oh. <laughs> oh,
1: that's a hard one. <laughs> I would say pasta.
0: Pasta. Love it. Fruits or veggies?
1: Fruits. Fruit. But like I'm very specific about fruit. Like I don't like all fruits. Yep. So yeah, fruits, but of any a small subsection. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair.
0: <laughs> um, do you prefer coffee or smoothie?
1: I would have to go with coffee because I don't think milkshake really fits into smoothie (laughs) as much as I would (laughs) to.
0: that's fair that's totally fair um would you rather live by the ocean or live in like a cabin in
1: the woods as a island girl you would suspect that I would choose the ocean Mm -hmm. but as a true introvert the cabin in the woods sounds amazing. <laughs> I love that.
0: Hey, I feel like when you grow up with things, it's like you're almost like desensitized
1: to it, right? Yeah. I mean, every now and then I miss the smell of salt from the ocean, yep. but I don't like the heat. So I didn't mm. really take advantage of the ocean because sometimes I was locked away in air condition. So <laughs> right. Well, that makes sense.
0: Would you rather direct a movie or
1: direct a music video music video i love music dancehall reggae if i had a choice Ooh, that, would be so <laughs> cool. that would be so cool or disney a disney soundtrack actually so Ooh. that's like my two extremes dancehall I- reggae or disney like we're jamming to encanto right now like every chance we get
0: that's awesome! I love that. I, I'm the same way. I'm so different with my music. I'm like all over the place. It's so fun. But that's the that's the beauty of music. Is you know, mm-hmm. there's so many different genres. It's like you can really like whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so if you had to live without music for one year
1: or movies for one year, which one would you choose? Movies. I couldn't tell you the last movie that yeah. I watched that wasn't a cartoon. so yeah I can do with vivo and Encanto for you
0: love it (laughs) do you prefer in-person shopping or online shopping
1: online in person is so stressful
0: (laughs) it is it really can be especially if you're looking for something specific and you can't find it and you're just circling it's like (laughs) um Would you rather have a personal chef or personal housekeeper?
1: This is a hard choice too, because I like my food, but I also like my house clean. Mm.
0: Mm. Chef.
1: Chef, love Mm. it.
0: Road trip
1: or fly to the destination? Road trip and a road trip if i had a choice in the states on the same track that the guy from diners drive-ins and dives takes yes that would be amazing if if someone created a diners drive-in and dives coast to coast like experience Uh uh-huh i'm the first one signing (laughs) up Uh, that would be (laughs) amazing i i
0: totally agree and that show is so fun it is um would you rather travel one year for free go anywhere you want or be given 50k to spend on whatever you want what would you choose one year for free love it Mm -hmm. would you rather live in a zoo or an amusement park amusement park i don't like animals (laughs) (laughs) i love it And then if you could only have a manicure for the rest of your life or a pedicure, which one would you choose? Petty. Petty. All day. All day. Same. (laughs) I I can't do my toes. It's too difficult. (laughs) And then the last one is sunrise or sunset.
1: Sunset. 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 I like my sleep. And I have two toddlers. So... I see the sunrise a lot (laughs) and I don't want to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, this was so much fun and I can't thank you enough for sharing your story and being so vulnerable and please share, um, plug all your stuff, your social media, your podcasts,
1: all the things. Okay, so I am launching a podcast on the 13th of March. I don't know when this is airing. It is called Choosing Her Hustle. Choosing Her Hustle is conversations for Black women, by Black women who are sharing their journeys, the good, the bad, the ugly, from side hustler to full-time entrepreneur. And I, th- you can find me at Choosing Her Hustle podcast on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, podcast.com. And then my coaching is blackrosecoaching.com. Black is spelled B-L-A-Q-U-E. And I'm also Black Rose Coaching on Facebook and Instagram. I'm also on TikTok, but I don't use it that much.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Latika. It was such a pleasure having you on. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that incredible episode with Leticia. It was such a pleasure hearing her story and just getting to see her growth and all the experiences she's been through and where it brought her to where she is now. Because she is a powerful woman that's helping other women and I just am so inspired by that. I love what she's doing and just bringing all of her experiences into you know what she does today and helping out other people so I just absolutely love that. Definitely feel free to connect with her and listen to her podcast when it launches. I think it will actually be out by the time this episode launches so that's super super exciting. I can't wait to listen to her hers and you know where to connect with me at my naked mindset on instagram twitter facebook tiktok all the things definitely feel free to reach out to me via email my naked mindset podcast at gmail.com please send me any topics or ideas or possible guests i would love to collaborate with you and i hope you enjoyed this episode i love you all bye